What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. I know what you're thinking. There's no sports on, so how is Bet Online still prospering? Well, I'll tell you how. There's a bunch of other things you can do on there. So make sure you use our promo code BLUEWIRE and help support this podcast. All right, let's get into it. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> oh! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to Juice Podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Forrest Walker at Do Not Die on Twitter. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm I'm hanging in there. Uh, I think we're all just hanging in there. Uh, so I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah, I shouldn't have asked that. I I, I realized as soon as I said it, like. <laughs> Like it's just a habit. It's just a reflexive habit that I have. Of you know, when I intro the podcast, I say, "How are you doing?" Now th- that's just the wrong question. Right now, you got to ask, "How are you holding up?" I, that's that's the proper way to ask this, I guess. Well, uh, I actually, uh, I, I think I've been taking this a little more seriously than uh, a lot of people, including some people in charge of things. So I've actually been kind of holed up for almost a couple of weeks now. Uh, with wow. a, yeah, so I'm. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> I'm doing okay, and I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to I'm ready to ride this out. So, I, and I hope everyone else is doing uh, doing okay out there too. Well, that's good to hear. That is certainly good to hear. Uh, it th- things really hit the fan on Wednesday for pretty much most of the world. Like I don't think most people were taking it seriously, myself included. I, I was still going to Rockets games. I was still you know large gatherings, all that stuff up until Wednesday, and then Wednesday, the NBA just shut that down right for not just (laughs) for not just for you know players and media like for everybody i feel i feel like when the nba shut down it was like dominoes everything came out at once yeah that was kind of the moment for i think a lot of uh parts of american society uh by coincidence i'd actually that previous night like in the middle of the night i'd just gone to the grocery store and picked up a like a couple of weeks worth of groceries so yeah the the timing was uh i feel like that was the that was Every moment that these kind of preparations are made in a situation like this is the last moment possible, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that the NBA did that when they did and ahead of a lot of other people because I think it really did help. By the way, the, the level of paranoia I have when I go to the grocery store is unbelievable. Like, like, is, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I now feel really sympathetic for, like, high-level germaphobes because, like, like, people who are, like, within a foot of me, like, hold on, let me just grab my Pringles and I'll be out your way. Like, like, that's just how I'm at. Like, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm in the grocery store, like the matrix trying to dodge everybody on, on every turn. Uh, it, it's crazy. It's, I, I can't touch doorknobs. Uh, I can't, I can't properly touch the grocery cart. I'm using like my shirt. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not touching anything in, until I get home. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, yeah, that's the right idea. Don't panic, but take precautions. Right. So yeah, exactly. Wash your hands thoroughly before you leave uh don't get within don't get too close to people when you're there remember that you know surfaces can carry it for a bit as soon as you get home wash your hands again before doing anything 
yeah, I mean, you're, we'll be okay. You'll be okay, and you know, this is this is how we, this is how we slow the spread. So yeah, and keep keep uh keep keeping away from people. <laughs> keep on doing it until further notice. Yeah. By the way, stop being an and hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer. That is just <laughs> not cool. Like, I, like I, I'm sorry. Like, like the, you you'll find toilet paper in a couple weeks at the grocery store because these stores are not are essential to society. So they're gonna stay open. This idea that you need to like hoard these things, like in the hand sanitizer too, like you only need one. First of all, you should be really washing your hands, and that should be like a just in case. Like I, I can't get to a, a sink that you, you pull out the hand sanitizer. But in general, you just need one. And this, <laughs> like, I see a lot of people at these grocery stores just hoarding. Like, well, obviously now they don't even have them. But like, what I'm saying is, when they were available, people were just stocking up on them. They were just stocking up on these hand sanitizers. <laughs> It's funny to me, the toilet paper thing in particular, because, yeah, our toilet paper production ability is, like, way higher than what the people are buying, honestly. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to catch up, and pretty soon there will be plenty of toilet paper, and people won't have any room in their houses to cram, like, another 100,000 rolls in. So it's going to be okay, everybody. You'll be able you'll be able to poop in peace. It's it's getting out of control. Um, So... <laughs> That is not the purpose of this podcast. Uh, this podcast is meant to uplift people stuck in their homes. Uh, I don't want to say stuck in their homes. It's never a bad thing to be in your home. But I, but I, I guess uh, people in their homes who aren't ordinarily in their homes, this podcast is meant to entertain you, and that's what we're here to do today. Uh, as I said in the last podcast, we're not slowing down the production of these things. Uh, I have come up with a series of podcasts uh, for the next for the next several weeks. I have a bunch of ideas, starting with this one. Um, some of you may have read the article I wrote uh, this week about the 10 greatest Rockets games of the decade, in my opinion. And I'm going to go through all 10 of those games uh, and you know, go through it with somebody and, you know, watch them if I can, watch the highlights if I can't. And we're going to try to revisit all those games on these podcasts. So that's what we're going to do today. And today's game is James Harden's first game as a Houston Rocket. Yes, yes, this is a good one. I'm excited about this. Yes, I feel like it's necessary to talk about the James Harden trade. Like, you can't talk about this game without re- revisiting that trade. And I just don't. Like, I just don't think we talk enough about this trade. And I don't mean on this podcast or local media or national media. I mean, we don't talk about enough about this trade as a, as a society. Like, I feel like <laughs> like this is, a, this is a part of NBA history that just, it's so freaking game-changing. Like, it changed the landscape of the league. And I know we say that every time we talk about this trade, but it's really true. It changed the, the like... A lot of teams were after James Harden, not just the Rockets. The Mavericks were after James Harden. The Suns were after James Harden. There were a bunch of teams that that wanted James Harden, and you know, all those teams missed out on James Harden. The, the Oklahoma City Thunder changed from being a what could be dynasty to pretty good title contender. The Rockets became a place to go for other superstars because they finally got a superstar. They, like they they got a perennial MVP candidate at 23 years years old. Like they traded I just want to go through this trade. They traded Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, two first round picks and a second round pick for 23-year-old James Harden. <laughs> yeah, and the the number one uh product of those picks was uh was Steven Adams, which is a good product for the for for those picks. He's a really good player, but And so was Kevin yeah. Martin. Kevin Martin was a yeah. was was a good player, like especially, you know, the role that they put him in, you know, six man off the bench, you know, bucket getter. Like that was a pretty solid role for him. He did well for OKC in that first year. 
Man, uh, if I can, I'd love to go into a little bit of like my my personal history with this trade. Uh, this I feel very strongly about this because I feel very strongly about James Harden and about his place on the Rockets. And I want to—I've said it before, but I want to let it be known: I was a huge James Harden fan before he was on the Rockets. I like I. I was playing shortly before this trade, and the weeks before it, I had a dynasty mode, like a my GM mode of NBA 2K, where the main thing I did was trade for James Harden to get him onto the Rockets as a fantasy <laughs> of mine. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, a, lo- a lot of people were high on this guy. Like, this this is a, a guy who made Team USA literally the summer before he got traded to the Rockets. Like, there there was a lot of hype around. He was the third pick in the NBA draft. Like, they. they there was, you know, this idea that he could be an all-star one day shouldn't have been a surprise, but a lot of people doubted his ability. And, like, for first, I just want to go back to where I was when the trade happened. So, I didn't have Twitter. Uh, much like a lot of people listening to this podcast, like, I did not have Twitter back in 2012. And I got, like, all of my news were text alerts from a radio station here in Houston. I think it was 610 or 710. One of those two. One of the two big radio stations. They, they did text alerts. For any trades, any would-be moves the Rockets made. And I got a text alert coming back from the gym that the Rockets had traded for James Harden. And I and immediately, like, you know, I went on the internet. I, I read I read Woj's article. Like, I, I, I went to go see what they traded. All that stuff. Like, it, it, it was one of those moves where, like, you had to stop and go, like, go check up on what the hell happened. Like, did you remember where you were when this happened? I remember exactly where I was. Uh, I was at a Halloween party at the time. Right, this uh, happened around Halloween. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was the weekend of Halloween, and uh, I was, I believe, I was dressed as Marty McFly at the time. <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, I actually was on Twitter then, and I got, I got pinged about it uh, that way, and was immediately just totally floored. I had to, my, a couple of friends of mine who were into basketball were at the party, and we were losing our minds at the moment. A couple of the Rockets fans, and I actually immediately went outside. Uh, checked on, like, did what you said, checked on the details of it, and then called a, a friend who lives across the country to just talk about this trade for about a half hour <laughs> during a party. So that's how big of a deal this was for me. Like, I, this is, a, I will always remember exactly where I was and exactly what I did immediately afterwards. A lot of people thought that there was no way OKC would trade James Harden. Like, like I thought there was no way OKC would trade James Harden. Like, James Harden just felt like an untouchable piece uh, for so long, and you know. Th- there had been rumors that you know the OK that the Thunder were exploring talks with James Harden, and you know I I didn't really believe them. I thought you know I I think Harden's going to stay put. Like there's no way they're going to choose Serge Ibaka over James Harden. That's just that just doesn't make sense. That doesn't compute in your head. Serge Ibaka, by the way, very good young player at the time. If if anybody remembers, he was getting triple doubles with blocks at that time, mm-hmm. pretty frequently. Like Serge Ibaka. I feel like history has kind of underrated him, but at that time, like he was one of the most promising young big men in the NBA. But even then, I just thought there was no way. But they did, they did, and it was over four and a half million dollars. Like the the difference between what James Harden wanted and what OKC was offering was four and a half million dollars over four years. That's a million dollars per year. Like the Thunder offered a fifty-five and a half million dollar contract, and the max was sixty, and. All Harden wanted was 60, and he, w- he would have remained a Thunder. And I found that out because I've been reading Boomtown by Sam Anderson, who really goes into depth on this. And, you know, he talks about not only the James Harden trade, but that whole OKC dynasty in general. I highly recommend anybody read it during this quarantine period. But, yeah, I can't believe it was such a small amount of money. 
Yeah, well, that's what, uh, that's what avoiding the luxury tax and uh, worrying about financials more generally gets you sometimes. But but here's the thing. If they had offered Harden this contract and he accepted, they would have been in the luxury tax. It's not even a question of w- dodging the yeah. luxury tax. Like, it, if, if Harden accepted this, this contract, he, they would have been in the luxury tax anyways. I, I, it was like... So the book I read talked about how Presti found it kind of disgusting that Harden wouldn't get on board because, you know... Oh, really? D- d- yeah, because like Durant had taken some sort of a pay cut, or he, or he, you know, turned down of his team options. He 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 did something with his contract, and Westbrook had did something, and Ibaka had did something. And I guess the expectation was for Harden to also do something, and that just wasn't the case. Harden thought he was the real deal, and he did not want to be tra- like treated like he was. Harden, Harden had class consciousness. He knew that the that the team needs him, not the other way around. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a 23-year-old six-minute-of-the-year winner. How often does that happen? Like, how often does yeah. someone that young... I think he might have been the youngest six-minute-of-the-year at that time, if I'm not mistaken. He, he cer- he's certainly one of the youngest, if not the youngest. I mean, he was he was a rock star. I mean, after, like, Kobe and Ginobili, like, and, you know, maybe Wade, like, he was the, you know, strongest shooting guard in the NBA. Like it, there was no question at that point, like of how good he was. But I guess there was question of how good he could become. I guess the Thunder had assumed that he had capped off in his capacity as a player, and that clearly wasn't the case. Well, and I mean, maybe they're worried that if they if they gave him that, uh, you know, deferred to him, then it would kind of be saying tacitly that he's the number one guy on the team, right? That like everyone else sacrificed for the team, but they're willing to do that for him. Perhaps it would kind of undermine Durant or Westbrook a bit. I don't know. I mean, in the end, it it worked out really well for James Harden. He got everything he wanted and also was the number one guy on a team uh, and has completely owned the Rockets ever since then, which is well-deserved. Uh, who knows how things would have gone, but it is wild to think that it's it was over... It was over such a, like, like a, a culture fit issue in the end, I guess. <laughs> Let's talk about the details of this trade. So Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, two first-round picks and a second-round pick. So one of those picks they got from the Kyle Lowry trade. And they got Kyle Lowry by trading Ray for Austin to Memphis. And that's just one of those picks. Like, the the cobweb on, on these picks is crazy. Like, I didn't even mention Kevin Martin. Like, the, they got Kevin Martin uh, in the Tracy McGrady three-team deal with Sacramento and New York two years before this trade. Like, the, that's what the Rockets were at this point. Like, the, they were constantly trading three quarters for a dollar over and over and over again until they got the better asset. And a lot of Rockets fans are like, what are you doing? You, like, you have no you have no culture. You have no continuity. Year, year after year, you're just trading your players. You're recycling them, essentially, to get, I guess, slightly better assets. But no, nobody really viewed the... You know, nobody really viewed picks and players as as assets at the time. Like, I, I I think the general public didn't even discuss trades that way. Like, we just talked about it as players and picks. We didn't even talk about it as these things have values, and the Rockets are trading for incrementally better values every single time. Yeah, that kind of armchair GM philosophy definitely uh, wasn't the mainstream then. I think it kind of was among some of the hoop heads on Twitter. But you're right. Like the average people, are like. Come on, come on, Daryl. Get do something good. Get better. And uh, to to the Rockets' credit, you know they talked about avoiding the eighth seed treadmill and like trying to get out of that doldrums, which is exactly where they were in that time period. They were like the eighth seed every year, basically eighth or ninth seed, and we're getting fourteenth picks in the draft. Uh, so them being able to pile up assets and just like you said, flip things over slightly 
it was the difference maker. Like they were, as people say, luck is opportunity plus, plus preparation. And they were prepared. They were completely prepared to pick up a superstar level player as soon as one came available. And they had the best pile of assets and they went ahead and got James Harden. And they, that transformed the team in a way that no amount of like developing young players you get in the middle of the draft was ever going to do. Yeah, it, it was pretty clear the directive from ownership down, and at the own, at the time ownership was Leslie Alexander was try to be, become a contender again without tanking. We want to stay competitive. We want to try to make the playoffs year after year after year. And they weren't making the playoffs. They were getting nine seeds year after year after year, getting the 14th pick in the draft, which was I I, I can only imagine for for Daryl Morey was incredibly annoying. Like it, that that's. Um, that's as you said the worst place you could be the treadmill of, of mediocrity and you know they had some fun teams you know Luis Scola Kevin Martin you know Chuck Hayes you know like that really competitive Courtney Lee Kyle Lowry Goran Dragic like really competitive fun teams but they weren't they clearly weren't good enough and Daryl knew that and that's why he kept on trading and trading and trading and that really led to the summer of 2012 which I want to talk about just for a brief second before we get on to uh, this game because the summer of 2012 I just want to ask Daryl one day like how much sleep did he get (laughs) because if you look if you look at this transaction log it's just ridiculous he he amnestied Luis Scully he traded Chase Budinger he went after Dwight Howard he went after Andrew Bynum he went after a a multitude of star players fell flat on his Paid the poison deal contract to Omar Ashik and, and Jeremy Lin. And, you know, it, it was pretty clear at the time, like, they were going to tank. Like, I don't, I'm not sure if, if Darrow's ever come on the record and, and said this. The, the idea was, we're finally going to do it. Like, our team is finally stripped down to the core. We are, we have all these picks, but we're, you know, we're not, we don't have any good players to really carry this team to a ninth seed again. We're going to, we're going to bottom out. We're going to, we're going to ride it out with Jeremy Lin and Omar Ashik, and we're going to, we're going to see how low we can get and see what kind of pick we can get. Just a few days before the season started, they pulled this off. And yeah, it, I mean, the story writes itself. It's its history now. It's its its just crazy the steps it took to get to this point. Like, I, I'm pretty sure now, I mean, we, have, we we will never get Leslie Alexander to talk about this, right? Because he's just <laughs> out of the public eye now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Daryl was on the hot seat that summer. Media here was absolutely roasting Daryl. You know, if if things didn't work out for the Rockets that following season, if they didn't land James Harden, like we may be talking about this Rockets team in a totally different light today. Yeah, I mean, and they, they had their share of uh, swings and misses before. We didn't even talk about the uh, the attempted trade for Pau Gasol that uh, went very sideways the previous the previous off season, or uh, or was that that was like the previous winter, right? Yeah, it was during it was during the uh, during the weird pseudo trade deadline. <sighs> yeah, it it was a rough ride for the Rockets at that point because after uh, that, this is also during the time period where they'd finally had to truly give up on Yao Ming after he'd come back from injury in 2011 and then re-injured his foot immediately and then it was truly done. So this was this was a dark period. <laughs> like it, it's it's complete. <sighs> Yeah, the history of the team is completely different because they were able to actually get their superstar. And from then on, you know, we can go back and talk about it. And we are going back and talking about it. But I think in retrospect, even though they have not to this point won a championship with James Harden, I think it's there's no way you can look at the James Harden trade as being anything less than a massive success and a complete franchise changer for Houston. 
Yeah, and the, the Yao Ming retirement in, in particular was just completely blindsided Rockets fans. There's this revisionist history that Yao Ming was always going to retire. Like, no, like there was the real. There's this real hope that Yao Ming could come back and you know play out his career in Houston. And he just this random Chinese press conference in the middle of like I think it was August. Like he just randomly retired, and it completely. I don't think he gave the Rockets notice at the time. Like he completely blindsided the front office and the fan base. And retired, and the Rockets had to come up with new plans on the fly. It was, it was a wild time. It really was. And this trade saved everyone. Like I, I truly believe a lot of people in that front office have this trade to credit to their careers. Like Hinky, Mori, Garrison Rosas, a lot of those guys. Like I don't think they have the reign they do without this trade. Yeah, that was a. I mean, it was a complete reputation builder and a career builder. Like. Uh, it was really the only time I think that, uh, the rest of the league really gave James Harden or not James Harden, uh, Daryl Morey true credit for his success at this point. Right. Like it's this, and I guess the the following, the following off season, which was not what we're talking about, but yeah, his Daryl Morey's legacy has been cemented by James Harden and James Harden's success and his ability to recognize that, like to prepare and recognize, right. That he was prepared for a player of this caliber and to recognize that James Harden was a player of this caliber and was about to be, I mean, from the very first game James Harden played, it was obvious that he was worth so much more than what the Rockets gave up for him. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that game right now. But first, we're going to talk about our friends at Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, or even the weather. Visit their website and join today and, w- and receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, bet online, your online wagering experts. We just had to talk about the deep history uh, with the Rockets before this trade happened because it was really a make or break moment. That, can, that point cannot be hammered home enough. So, the Rockets signed James Harden to a five-year, $80 million extension before the game. A lot of people viewed it as incredibly risky, and the Rockets were pretty headstrong. I did In the press conference after the trade, they talked about Harden as being a cornerstone piece and someone you can build around for years, and the Rockets were really confident in that idea. In this game, Harden dropped 37 points, 12 assists, 6 rebounds, 4 seals, one block, 14 of 25 shooting from the field, 4 of 10 shooting from three-point range, and Houston went on to beat Detroit 105-96. to So those those thoughts eroded pretty quickly as to whether or not Harden was the real deal. Like, immediately. Yeah, uh, going back and looking at this game was wild. I mean, as you said, they, they, win, they won the game, but they were down for much of the game. They actually were game. down. Yeah, they were. The, the Pistons were pretty good, and the Rockets were pretty good too. And it was it was back and forth for a while. Uh, it's funny going back and watching Harden at that point. A, let me say first off, he had a a real Mohawk situation going on, as a lot oh, of the team yeah. did at that point. 
Uh, and That's his one of my notes was, right on the on this piece of paper right here. His hair stitch and his beard was much smaller too. Like it was definitely his distinctive beard, but it was like maybe fifty percent shorter or something. It was wild. It's a wild to go back and look at very young James Harden uh, and how different he looked and how different he played too. He was he was a lot of the things he's done now were not there yet. So it's it's an incredible credit to him that he was already as good as he was. And that if you look, go back and look now, he is clearly much better now. And that's that's incredible that a player could add so much to his game over what he was doing back then and be b- great both then and now. I mean, if you look at his frame, he was so scrawny. And, and that is not what you used to describe James Harden today. <laughs> but yeah, he was a scrawny, athletic, really athletic kid at the time that just... The, the way Detroit defended James Harden really stood out to me because it was single coverage. There was no switching. And, I mean, if, if you tried that on James Harden today, he's dropping <laughs> 60. Harden was so damn fast. He got to the rim pretty much at will. He got three fast break layups in this game. And, like, it's just funny watching the way he plays then as compared to the way he plays now because, first of all, there's more drives to the rim. He looks quicker. He looks like he wants to make off-ball cuts and be ready for catch-and-shoots, which he does not look like he is today. And uh, just how quick he was, man. Like, he's his first step going to the rim, he still has that. But, man, it's his second and third steps are just another level back then. He's just so freaking fast. Like, And, you know, I don't think we use the word fast to describe James Harden today. I think we use the word quick. <laughs> I think we use... But this... The quickness that I saw in this game, it's just really, st- really stood out. Yeah, he really would uh, just blow his way by guys to the rim, like you said, over and over again. That's what's that is what struck me the most. Uh, how much he just wanted to get right to the rack, and how much he relied upon his euro step, because that was really his big thing at the time. That was what people m- knew him for most. Uh, and it's you know it's still in his repertoire, but it's not his number one weapon anymore. And it's interesting to go back and see that. Yeah, he was much much more athletic and quick. Um, seeing him, seeing him dump it off to Omer Ashik, who would barely oh, make a layup repeatedly. We, we are going to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, the the number of times that Omer Ashik would like get an open lane to the rim and then just do some kind of a weird like floater or like reverse layup or something instead of just flushing it was. I'm starting to understand why it is that uh, I recall why it is that the Houston commentators seem obsessed with telling centers to dunk the basketball. So I'm going to read to you his 12 assists from this game. And you, and you tell me what, you, what the commonality is. Okay. A no-look assist to Omar Ashik for a reverse layup. An assist to, Jer- to a driving Jeremy Lin. Another assist to Oshik for... Ashik for a reverse layup. Assist to Carlos Delfino for a catch-and-shoot mid-range. Assist to driving Chandler Parsons. No-look pass to Jeremy Lin for three. A full-court pass to Terrence Jones for the open dunk. Another Carlos Delfino catch-and-shoot three. Another Carlos Delfino catch-and-shoot three. Carlos Delfino, good game. Really good game. Yeah, Uh, no kidding. He he was shooting the lights out. Yeah. Um, Pick-and-roll dunk to Greg Smith. Drives and finds Ashik for another reverse layup. Like, the... the, (laughs) I counted <laughs> I counted three reverse layups and just these are just James Harden's assists. So God knows if he had other reverse layups in this game, but and a lot of these reverse layups weren't even necessary. He was just right there at the basket, but you if he saw one guy within like 
six inches of the basket, he would just turn around and, and go for the reverse lip. Like he was just so afraid of contact and so afraid of dunking it. Like the the amount of unathletic guys on this Rockets team is astounding. Like it ta- we're talking about Terrence Jones and Greg Smith as the most athletic guys on this basketball court. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was I was watching his team and I was like, whoa, this roster. What are we doing here, guys? I mean, he oh, got gosh. he got twelve assists. And three of them were to Omar Ashik. Ugh. This roster, as you said, rough. Rough. Yeah, this was definitely mostly a team that was ready to uh, get to tanking, and James Harden really lifted them up. Uh, and you think? Make, made them, made them uh, able, to pl- able to be a, a playoff team because the Rockets have never missed a playoffs with James Harden, including that first season in which they would go on to, uh, to lose in the first round under unfortunate circumstances. Uh, but yeah, this is, I don't, I do not know how this roster was able to do what it did. I mean, like this is a moment where everyone thought that Jeremy Lin was like one of the best players in the league, which, you know, great player, good times, but uh, James Harden and Jeremy Lin was like a conversation for are they the coolest backcourt in the league? And nowadays, you look at what those two did, and it just is <laughs> comparing it to the later on backcourt of James Harden and Chris Paul. It is hard to watch. Yeah, Jeremy Lin, rough playoff history with the Rockets, but yeah, um, this roster is just like. And watching, by the way, watching baby Chandler Parsons in this game, it's, it makes me sad what went on to happen with Chandler Parsons. Obviously, with his obviously with the knee injuries, and obviously re- very recently with his car accident. But man, he was really fun to watch in a Rockets uniform. Like there was this there was this play where. Uh, Harden went in for the and one layup. By the way, he got a bunch of and ones in in not only this game and just in general in his first ten like his first three to four years with the Rockets, he would always get and one layups. He would go to the rim and you often see Harden fall nowadays, right? When he when, when he gets the foul, he would not fall. Like he would just keep going. He would continue to keep going, and you know he, he'd fl- he'd flail his head back, but he would not fall and flop that way. Like his flopping now is just so pronounced. But yeah, he got this annual layup, and Chandler Parts went up to went up to James Harden and, and like chest bumped him, and it it just reminded me of the bromance these early Rockets teams had, particularly between Harden, Lynn, Chandler Parsons, and eventually Dwight Howard. Like the bromance that these guys had back then was a really fun fun team to root for. Yeah, they were a real a real up and comer team. Like I, it made it reminded me of that at the time uh, when they were all wearing their their faux hawks and you know they were all young and full of vim and vigor. That people more generally saw this team as a cool and exciting young team that was gonna you know that were gonna make some noise pretty soon. They were they were everyone's second favorite team for a minute there, uh, and it and it makes sense. Uh, they were still feeling out the league and still feeling out their team and. He was still growing as a player. It was, it was a uh, real salad days, you know. Uh, the things were things were less complicated and less contentious back then for the team. Like they were universally lauded as doing a really good job, even though they weren't there yet because they weren't expected to be there yet. Uh, and that it was it was a good time to be a Rockets fan. Like even though they lost in you know the first round of the Thunder at the end of that, uh, that was a Thunder, right? They lost to it in, in that season. Yeah, they lost to the Thunder. Yeah, when they when the the Lakers grabbed that that uh their their seventh seed at the last second, uh, yeah that that was a that was a good time to watch Rockets games even if you were watching them lose, uh, which they lost more than you'd like, but because they were just so much better than before, and because you know there was so much to come up on the horizon, uh, that 
it's it's wild to go back and watch it. It feels like it feels like just yesterday, but it also feels like so so long ago at the same time. Like it's barely the same era, if that makes any sense. No, I mean Harden took three mid range jumpers in this game. Like <laughs> I don't think any star player takes three mid range jumpers per, per game anymore. Like I think maybe Kawhi, and that's pretty much it. Like you don't see star players take as many mid range jumpers as Harden did in this game. Like it's diametrically different like it's the league the league back then versus what it is now is is complete like omar ashik does not play in today's nba he just yeah he's just not good enough like he's i mean back then he was actually a pretty strong defensive player but his limitations offensively makes him so unplayable in today's nba which by the way also makes this performance by James Harden much more impressive because you look at the supporting cast and the the floor spacing and the way the Rockets are positioned on the floor and the fact that the coach of this team is Kevin McHale it's really impressive that Harden did what he did at the time yeah and the fact that he was able to come out of the gates this way too like he was he was just traded like literally like four days before four days before yeah. yeah it was he had no time to do anything he just got out there and did the damn thing and it Im- immediately looked like a superstar. That's what's amazing to me. Like if he'd come out and looked like he needed some time to figure out Houston's offense and he was finding his feet, like it would have been reasonable, honestly. But that's not what happened. He d- he didn't he didn't need any time at all to adjust. He the league adjusted to him right away. I there could not be honestly a better game for him to come out with. Yeah, this game and the next game, like, this is the last time you see single coverage for James Harden. Like, (laughs) after these first two games of the season, you're going to start to see those double teams. You're going to start to see, you know, a normal defense that you'd see for a star player. But the fact that he was getting a single coverage uh, for the first 96 minutes of the season was, it was just, it's just hilarious in hindsight. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought that first game was a fluke. Uh, they, they thought, you know, there's no way you can keep this up. Oh, he had his, he had his good game. He's going to end up being a pretty good player, and that's it. Like, you know, that that's you're going to see a player that's capped off at being like a one- or two-time All-Star in the NBA, and that just wasn't the case. Like, he went on to have several good games, uh, including games much, much better than this game. Yeah, uh, it's wild to go back to the start of it all, and it really is like there really is a stark divider like this game sends a stark divider to the previous season which was that 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 i think it was like three years basically where they were kind of in the wilderness and we're not really sure what they were it was like the the post mcgrady years it was the where, it was the rick adelman years right yeah the rick adelman years like after after Yao Ming and mcgrady just like weren't doing it anymore like mcgrady did the things he did and Yao Ming couldn't stay on his feet that that wandering in the wilderness period was just like it's strange how quickly it ended right like Mm -hmm. it seemed like something they were gonna have to find their way out of gradually and it wasn't like it was gradual then all at once one day a one like over a period of four days everything was completely different for the team and just watching that game was like i remember watching it it was absolutely joyous to see us happen like it felt like the start of a new era and like for once we were right oh by the way this game 
at the time not available for the majority of Houstonians. Uh, this was oh ba- boy, that was during all that stuff, huh? Yeah, this was right after uh, the Rockets stopped playing on Fox Sports uh, Houston, and it moved on to I don't even remember what the what was, it was it CSN Sportsnet or whatever the Comcast stuff. It was before. It was definitely a Comcast uh, product, but I don't know what it was called. It was some weird name. Well, I don't know what it was, but. And that entity ended up breaking up, and now you know you get what you get today at AT and T Sportsnet. But yeah, a lot of Houstonians couldn't watch the Rockets. I, I think the stat at the t- at the stat at the time was like seventy percent of Houston can't watch the Rockets. Like it was like only people with Direct TV or something. It was it was only yeah, one it was like only one provider. I was watching this on a, an illegal stream. Yeah, thankfully, uh, being in Austin, I'm able to watch every Rockets game because there's no blackouts of Rockets games unless they're Spur- unless they're also Spurs games here. Though there was half of a season where League Pass thought I was in Houston, in Houston for no reason, and that was a huge pain. But uh, yeah, so I was able to watch it without any trouble. But I was yeah, I was I was monitoring a situation. Houston fa- fans in Houston were justifiably furious because this lasted for a while too. Yeah, it lasted for like a good two to three years. It was a pretty bad deal. Like going back to this mohawk because I feel like we we just we, t- <laughs> we touched on it and we didn't really t- talk like this i this idea that this was ever cool patently ridiculous. This is this is also the dubstep era, man. I don't know to tell you. This was a societal trend, man. Like this was not like just James Harden. Like if you look at players in the NBA, like they were all getting mohawks. People in society, everyday life, they were they're all getting mohawks, and they weren't good mohawks. Like this James Harden mohawk, like Harden's mohawk looks much better today. Well, they weren't, yeah, and they weren't like a serious mohawk. It was like a weird, like tapered. That's like they, we call them the faux hawks because they were just like it was basically just like a fade that was like triangular shaped or something. It just looked weird. Like it just looked like your your head had like a ridge on the top of it almost. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of people thought this was cool. Yeah, they did. But I guess that's with everything, right? That's I guess it's with every trend. Time makes fools of us all. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where I don't know what we were all thinking at the time. I, I don't <laughs> I, I, I don't even understand why this was a thing. Hey, we allowed it to happen, and I guess it's for the best that we did because we got the weird era of Donatus Modiunis and Jeremy Lin and Chandler Parsons all having faux hawks, which is very <laughs> funny to look back on now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. By the way, Harden off the ball. I, I think I briefly touched on it before. Uh, there was a play at the 9.06 mark of the third quarter where he, he cut off the ball. Backdoor cut, Jeremy Lin gave him a pass, uh, and he dunked it. And, like, that's the kind of play you just do not see at all. Like, you, you, you don't see Spurs. Like, I guess you do when, like, Westbrook's handling the ball. Like, you see, like, instances where he's trying to play off the ball. But Harden was so willing to play off the ball back then and in a way that really helped the Rockets um, when they were stagnating offensively. And, and it was just interesting to watch. Like, he is such a different stylistic player than what he was at this point. When you watched the tape, right, it was just so different. Yeah, he he was a totally different player. He was like he was like Manu Ginobili two point at that time, which is not at all what he is now. Like he would just go a totally different direction. It's so weird to see him like playing in this particular way. Yeah, the amount of catch and shoots he got was was like I, I, you, you don't even see that with Harden today. Like he, Harden gets a catch and shoot, and he'll isolate again for another five seconds. <laughs> Did anything stick out to you, particularly watching back at this film? I mean, the biggest thing is just how different the league was at the time. It just wasn't the same NBA that it is now. Everyone's like every team. The league had not yet been completely conquered by Houston's three point and uh, 
like by Mori Ball yet, basically. And it was wild to see even the Rockets not conquered by Mori Ball yet. Just them playing kind of like a regular team. It was really weird to see them playing like a regular team. Yeah, like this version of the Rockets probably ranks 30th in, in three-point attempts. And I don't even know if that's true. I'm just guessing, like eyeballing it. Because, again, like Carlos Delfino took a catch-and-shoot mid-range jumper. Like that's just a catch-and-shoot mid-range jumpers sound so foreign. Like I've, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if there are 18-year-olds that have ever seen a catch-and-shoot jumper from mid-range. <laughs> yeah, we, we've we've finally eliminated them. Yeah, we've we've, we've done it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that th- that about wraps it up for me. I mean this was it, it's this was really a pleasure to watch at the time. As you said, the contrast before between last year's Rockets and this year's Rockets at the time was so stark, and it, it really. For a lot of Rockets fans, this was a moment of hope, a moment of finally we're out of the dark ages, right? Like this is this is what Rockets fans are talking about on the forums and stuff. Like this was they finally got their guy, they finally got their guy to, to conquer the next few years with, and you know, hard and delivered in every sense of the word. Yep, uh, it is for this reason that we will always love and respect James Harden, and we will watch every single game he plays. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll be doing more of these, I promise. We're going to do other games uh, from that list on this podcast. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SomaliNBA. Follow Forrest on Twitter at Do Nuts. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs>